Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. 1 Peter, chapter 5. We are getting dangerously close to being done with 1 Peter. Uh, my goal is to uh, finish 1 Peter in the next few weeks and then be able to preach a series of messages on the resurrection of Jesus going into Resurrection Sunday. Um, after that, we will start our uh, messages in First or Second Peter, uh, Lord willing, after that. Um, providing the Lord doesn't come back between now and then. We shall see. Um, First Peter chapter 5, we're going to be beginning in verses 1 through 4 today. Let me begin by just kind of preempting a little bit of, I guess for me, the... This particular passage is very personal for pastors, for elders in the church. And Peter writes this so that we might have an inkling or at least some insight into the reasons why the pastor does what he does. I'm fighting the feedback up here, so I'm walking side to side. Uh, they would prefer me to stand still, but I don't do that well. So... In, in retrospect, and as we, as we dive into this passage, let me help you out with some things, okay? I want to talk today about what it means to shepherd the flock. And I'm going to talk about it from my perspective as a pastor, as much as Peter's perspective uh, as, an, as an elder and even an apostle looking into that role. Um, it is a continuation, if you will, of the previous passage that we looked at. So I'm going to get into that today, and we're going to talk about a little bit more about it. But first our, first, our passage is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, please, in reverence and honor of the Word of God as we read this passage. Here's what it says. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness for the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that should be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word and grateful for this time to come together. Help us, Lord, to glean some things about that role of a pastor uh, shepherding the flock. Help us, O oh God, today with that. Forgive us, bless us, and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. This particular passage is very much a, uh, a personal thing with me because I take what I do very seriously as your pastor. I'm... I'm not, I try not to be flippant in the, in the pulpit. I try not to be one of those, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, a jokester, per se. I, I tend to be very serious about the Word of God and about its delivery to you as His people. And so from that perspective, I start here. You need to see this as a continuation from the previous passage. So I want to go back and just kind of read it and blend it in together. If you'll go back just a couple of verses there to verse 18, it says, And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. 
He shifts gears only in perspective from those in the, in the pews, per se, to those now in leadership. And as he changes that perspective, it really just changes the focus of the whole idea of the persecution. Here's what it says. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, Peter goes into a lot of detail in that one verse to kind of give the overarching perspective here. The main part of the passage that I need you to grab here is the exhortation itself, which is verse 2. Here's what it says. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but for, uh, of a ready mind. Now the idea is, is that he is exhorting elders, and we'll talk about what those people, who those people are, in the churches, that they might be ready to feed the flock of God. Now there are a couple of things here. By the name of an elder, there are our leaders of the flock, and, and by what they do, they are feeders of the flock. So leading and feeding are the two main aspects of this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you through about four or five of these as we go through the passage. And depending on time constraints, how, how much of that we get done is variable. I was reading this week, and, and I've got to stay still. And following uh, some other pastors and preachers that I follow, I was reading up on, on how they went to this passage and, and what, they, what they really brought out. One of the things that's interesting is when you talk about a flock, that role of shepherd and then the role of sheep, both are important. Um, I, I like what John MacArthur said about uh, what he believes sheep were created for. He said they were created for the express purpose of being an example of people. He says he believes that God created sheep specifically so that he could use them as an analogy for people because they are so similar to how people operate in the world. And I want to go through and read to you some of those things about sheep because being part of the flock is, is your responsibility and you need to see yourself in how shepherding all works. It's funny, we, we've been kind of disconnected in our modern world about shepherding and really what it looks like. So when we talk about shepherding, what does it look like for someone to be a shepherd? And what does it look like for him to shepherd the flock? What do they do? Jesus is very specific about that uh, in, uh, in his ministry. He talked about it. Uh, let me see if I can find the passage real quick. <clears throat> this is uh, from uh, the Gospels. Uh, this is... Um, let me get, get over here to where I need to find it real quick. I pulled out a passage specifically for the sheep. and says uh, about being a good shepherd. And Jesus is one of those uh, examples for shepherds in general. But as we, as we look into Scripture, it is a difficult thing just to be a shepherd. And he says, I'm the good shepherd. And one of those things is because... Jesus is our only example of good. And for pastors, we struggle with it because we can't be like Jesus in that respect because there's nothing good except God. But he says that, that sheep hear his voice and, and shepherding is a, is a very personal um, job in, in whichever capacity, whether you're talking about shepherding people or you're talking about shepherding sheep. 
it's very personal. So I want to read to you an excerpt from uh, uh, a commentary I read about sheep, about uh, what it looks like. The sheep, for example, is the only animal in the world that can be totally lost within a few miles of its home. Most animals have been given by God an instinct to find their way back, an uncanny instinct to go home. For the most part, that is the element of animal life. Now within its closed range, the sheep has adequate skills. It knows its own pasture. It knows the place where it was born and suckled by its mother. It will, it will invariably rest in the same shade every day. It will sleep in the same fold in the same place. It will stay in the uh, home range more than any other grazing animal and not go very far. But if that sheep is taken into unfamiliar territory, it becomes completely lost. It has no sense of direction. It has no sense of orientation. It does not know where it is. It does not know how to get to where it's supposed to be. It cannot find its way home. In fact, lost sheep will walk around usually in endless circles, buying continually in confusion and unrest and sometimes even panic. Now, sheep are beautiful. Sheep are gentle. Sheep are humble. Sheep are, contrary to popular opinion, quite intelligent. But they are so utterly prone to get lost that if they go astray, they are helpless to find food or to find water. There are about a billion plus sheep in the world, and all of them very soon starve to death or die of thirst if it were not for the thousands of caring shepherds, who, like the shepherd in Scripture, goes out after the lost sheep because he knows it can never find its way back. All other animals can track back, but not the sheep. When Jesus saw the disoriented, confused, hungry, spiritually lost crowds, he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. He said they were like sheep without a shepherd. They did not know where they were. They couldn't feed themselves. They couldn't find water. They were totally lost and did not know the way back. And there was no one to lead them to water, to lead them to food, and to lead them home. When the prophet Isaiah wanted to describe lost men, he selected sheep. And he said, all we like sheep have what? Gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And we're all disoriented. We're all lost. And we can never find our way to the sheepfold. We have no shepherd to lead us. Sheep, by the way, are especially vulnerable when uh, proposedly led astray. They're innate followers. Very easy to lead them astray. Uh, in New Zealand, there are about 40 million sheep that are sent to market and led to slaughter every year. There is one sheep that leads them to their death. Strangely enough, and not so strangely, that sheep in New Zealand is called the Judas sheep. That is specially selected and castrated male sheep who leads the unwitting sheep, unwitting sheep to the killing floor. Unaware of what is about to happen, the sheep blindly fall in behind the Judas sheep and they follow him to the killing floor, at which point a trap door opens on the side and he exits down to bring in the next group. The door closes and they are slaughtered. Sheep, when astray, are utterly lost and unable to find their way back. And sheep can be so easily led to their death. Another thing that points us to the need for sheep, for a shepherd, they are not only need to be rescued, but they need to be protected. They need to be guided. They need to be provided for. They need a shepherd who can gather them to a safe place and bring them home, who goes after them when they go astray, even carries them when they're hurt. Sheep spend most of their life eating and drinking, and they're constantly thirsty, constantly hungry. And especially if left without a shepherd, they are vulnerable. Here's why. They have to have clean water and they have to have pure water. 
They have to have water that is not stagnant and filled with potential disease. They have to have water that is not too cold nor, nor too hot. They have to have water that is not moving too rapidly. They need to be led, as the psalmist said, beside the still waters, not stagnant, but moving slowly. The water must be very close by so it can be easily found and made easily to drink. Most animals are able to smell water at a distance. They can smell it on the wind. They can feel the moisture of it, but not sheep. If sheep are allowed to wander too far from their own pasture, they'll sense no water hole, though it be nearby, and they will die of thirst because they have no capacity to find water. That's a short description of the life of a sheep. Can I tell you that pastoring or shepherding a flock is very similar? Because of the ineptitude or, or anything like that of, of the people, that's not really it. It's because of the nature of people. Our tendency to wander, our tendency to go off after other things than the things of God. We need somebody to shepherd us and bring us back. So let's talk about this group of people called the elders. Now, and I say plural because in Scripture we're taught that a, a church is led by a plurality of elders. Now, this is a hard teaching for a lot of Baptists because we, we tend to be a, a, a one elder flock most of the time. And, and rightly so, there is, a, there is a notation that there is a, a, a one particular pastor in charge and he's usually a senior pastor, but he has others that help him. We have that here. We have elders in this church and, and their job is to lead and guide and direct the flock. My responsibility as the senior pastor is just that, is to guide, is to, to, to lead these men as they lead you all. That's the, that's the glory of all of it. I, I, I'll tell you that it's the, the hardest job I've ever loved. Of all the positions in my life that I've ever held, this one for me is the most personal, personally rewarding, and personally detrimental to my own being I've ever had. Being a pastor has cost me more than I ever thought I would ever pay. Oh, I've gained a lot. Spiritually, it is the best thing I could have ever done. It's the only thing I could have ever done. As a, as a pastor, I have laughed with my congregations and I have cried. I have pleaded and I have begged and I have been in want and I have been in plenty. All of those things. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I'll tell you, it's a struggle. An elder's not, a, not an easy job. I'm going to use about three different words for, for this. Elder is the first one. It's the one mentioned here in this passage. And it can mean a couple of different things. Someone who is uh, more advanced in the faith or someone that's more advanced in years. Sometimes together. Not always. But sometimes. And for churches, you need somebody who's been there and experienced to be an elder. That's one of the reasons we've chosen the elders that we have. Uh, these men uh, are, are great men of faith and great men of God, and, and, and they're learning, and we're all learning together. I've gotten the opportunity to sit under a lot of different elders and pastors in my life, and I'll tell you that I have appreciated their guidance and their direction at many different times in my life. So I want to use three different terms, the term pastor, the term bishop, the term elder, all interchangeably because they are interchangeable in Scripture. They just have different functions. 
Uh, you're going to see if a man desired the office of a bishop in 1 Timothy uh, and his role as that bishop, as, as someone who comes along and, and leads that flock. It's going to be, he's going to be an elder, but he has an office that's called a bishop. He's an overseer, right? Then you're going to see that term pastor floated around, and he's one who teaches and nourishes and admonishes. They're all interchangeable, and we're going to take a look at all, all of them today. So I want to start with first the ministry of the shepherd. Ministry of the shepherd. Here's what it is. Look at verse, uh, verse 1 and part of 2. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock which is among you, taking oversight thereof. The hardest part of this is knowing that the responsibility of feeding God's flock falls to me and the other elders here at this church. I've impressed it upon the other elders, and, and that's specifically Tommy and Eric, that the responsibility of feeding the flock falls to all of us. I am the main teaching pastor here. That's what I've been, uh, I've been obligated to do by God, and I'm going to do that as long as I have breath. Here's the, here's the rub for that. Being an elder is not all it's cracked up to be all the time. I see a lot of things that most people don't. My responsibility is to be observant and to be responsive and to plan ahead and to all those things. And, and it's sometimes a very difficult thing. Uh, I love to listen to Peter talk about this particular subject because he says some things about it. Well, let's talk about first the plurality, because he does use the word elders. It's plural. And it's referring to God, godly leadership. And they, they lead in re really basically three ways. First, the plurality of elders deals with, first of all, the preservation against evil and wickedness. And when you have a plurality of elders, what tends to happen is people see things differently. I, I always tell, them, uh, tell everybody here, I've got, I've got a great couple of elders that work with me at the church here. Uh, Tommy is passionate and driven, and Eric is careful and, and very conservative. And when we have issues that come in that we have to deal with, I'm kind of the guy in the middle of that. I, I have a tendency to go off after my passions, but sometimes I have to look and be conservative because I know, and these guys give me perspective, and I need that. If you have a one-man show, it, what tends to happen is wickedness creeps into that one-man show and, and there's no oversight for that. But with a plurality of us, with a group of us, we can kind of head it off at the pass. I'm thankful that God didn't put yes-men in my way because yes-men tend to get in the way. People who tell me yes all the time or tell somebody yes all the time tends to lead to a, a kind of uh, monomaniacalism, for lack of a better term. It, it puts a, a, a pastor in a place of a megalomaniac in, in, in very, very uncertain terms when there's no guidance. And if that man is a, a humble guy, that can be constrained. But if that pastor is not humble, if that elder is not humble, he tends to be that megalomaniac that he could be very easily. So when wickedness comes in, these, these plurality of elders help stave that off. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, 
who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. You see, elders are there to protect against that sort of thing. People have asked me why I don't have certain preachers or, or certain would-be preachers come into the pulpit and preach. I said, because my responsibility is to protect this pulpit, to protect the people. And as a shepherd, you don't just let anybody in. You only let people in you trust. If you ever get a chance, read the story of David and his upbringing as a shepherd. Sheep are, are very interesting animals when it comes to this kind of thing, and protection is one of their main needs. Titus chapter 1, verse 5 says, For this cause I left thee in Crete, talking, talking uh, Paul the Apostle talking to uh, Titus, he says, That thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, but and not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, and temperate. Those are the qualifications that a bishop has, that that elder must have. Because he, you've got to understand what comes. In my years as, as a pastor, I've been a pastor now for almost 18 years, nine of which have been here. Almost nine, be nine in July. And in all my years as pastor, I can tell you this. If there are not constraints, if there are not some kind of a paradigm to follow from Scripture, and if we don't follow it, we are subject to ruin through wickedness and evil. It will come. It will infiltrate. Just like our passage over there, that said this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Even shall there be false teachers among you who shall privately bring in damnable heresies. It is easy to come in. When you allow everything, and there, there are no biblical restraints on what comes in, damnable heresies will. They're inevitable. That's why you hear about so many churches out there who are following off after whatever teacher and whatever uh, new whim and new, new thing that's come along. I, I've been studying as of late of postmodern Christianity and kind of what that's looking like and how it kind of came to pass. And really, it's one of those things where the church is struggling. Are we going to be modern and, and more convenient for people? Or are we going to be doctrinal? Are we going to be stable? Are we going to be consistent with biblical venues? And that's really where we have to fall. Either the Scripture is going to be there and it's going to be our mainstay and our, our way in which we're going to do things, or it's not. Because then you can just take it and do, use it as an allegory and make it to say anything you want. Or... You can follow the ideals of Scripture and reminds us this. Listen to this. This is verse 9 in chapter, Titus, chapter 1, verse uh, 9 of, chapter of Titus. I'll get there in a minute. It says this in verse 9. It says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be, may by, be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince 
the naysayers. See, here's what that, that tells us. That the would-be elder, or would-be bishop, would-be pastor of a church has to be able to, by sound doctrine, exhort and convince. That is my responsibility. Can I tell you that there are days when, when this job is a job, more than a calling. But I will convince you of this, that it is a calling for me. I don't take it lightly because I can't. I'm not allowed to be frivolous. I'm not allowed to be just hum-ho about the ministry here. I can't be. I'm, I, God expects me to be faithful, expects me to endure, expects me to put it out there so that I can feed the flock. That's coming, by the way. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Verse 11 of that passage says, uh, I'm going to read verse 10. It says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouth must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. And he goes on to describe some of those in 12 and 13. It says, Wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. See, when we find one that, that's teaching this way, we're to rebuke them to the point that they are going off after the right things afterwards. That's the responsibility. It's not to put up with it. It's not to endure the false teaching. It's not to allow it to fester. It's to cut it off. It's to re restart it and make sure they get it right. And if they won't, then there's a whole other issue we have to go through in that. See, under the pure, verse 15 tells us right there, all things are pure, but under them that are defiled, unbelieving, is nothing pure. Even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in, their, in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. So the responsibility comes to, to make sure evil doesn't come in. Secondly, there's a preservation of, of accountability. What does that look like? Well, in a plurality of elders, there is this notion that we can hold each other accountable. So grateful for that. That when I preach and when I teach, I get, I get feedback from these guys. I get feedback that says, hey, you know what, maybe this or maybe that. And, and, and we look at Scripture and we say, okay, is that correct? They do that for me. And I do it for them. It's part of who we are, admonishing one another. And then it also helps you all be accountable. Not just the elders be accountable to one another because that's inherent. But also, also that the people of God may be held accountable. Listen to this passage from Hebrews chapter 13. Begins in verse 7. It says, Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. Verse 8 says, Jesus the same yesterday, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not been profited them. They have been occupied therein. See, here's the rub, here's the rub for us, the rub for us. We, we look into it, and we, sometimes we think that the leadership in churches are just there to bug us, there to step on our toes, to call us out when... Things are, things, we think things are going okay, but they just don't quite see it that way. Can I just help you out with that a little bit here? 
when I was in sitting where you were in the pew and before God called me into ministry, I used to think the same things. And I would go and do as I pleased and do, did what I wanted to do and, and not considering the things of God first, but secondly, because I, I added God to my cart, a la carte. Is that, you understand what I mean by that? I, here's what I did. I, I was a Christian and I was a believer in Jesus Christ and, and I thought I'd made him Lord, but what, what I didn't understand was that lordship is something that not only do I accept it because it happened, but it's also something I submit to. And that's the struggle, right? I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that's the reality of, of being a Christian. It's, it's really the reality of, of being a sheep. Sheep are terrible about it. They'll wander off from anything. And, and part of it, you know, there was a book out several years ago about pastoring and... and um, one of those things that, that it talked about in that particular book was, are we shepherds or are we fishbowl keepers? Now, you know what a fishbowl is? It's real simple. And we keep them contained and they swim around and we'll add fish every now and then from other fish ponds. But what, that's really not what we're described as in Scripture. We're described as shepherds. And sheep begat sheep and and, and the shepherd comes along and helps nurture that. Let me tell you what that looks like for you. That means that those of you sitting out there and are part of the sheepfold here at Cornerstone are expected to begat sheep. Now, wait a minute. Preacher, you, you're calling me a sheep here, but how do I begat sheep? Well, I've always told you there's only two ways to grow a church. Either have babies, raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and they'll become sheep. Or two, we go out and win those people outside the church to Christ. Evangelism. And when they come to Christ, guess what? You've got a shepherd here who will help nurture them and help them, help disciple them, and be a part of the sheepfold. It's funny. Scripture is so clean so clear on this whole idea in that same passage in hebrews this is verse 17 just right down from it. it says obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you can i can i just touch on something real quick here the pastors and elders here are absolutely committed, absolutely committed to watching for your soul. We are. We're absolutely committed to it. And we want to do it with joy and not with grief. Can I, can I help you out there with that? Because this is where it kind of rubber meets the road. We're going to do it regardless. Whether we do it with joy or with grief, we're going to do it. We'd rather do it with joy and not grief. Why do I read it that way? Because I'm, I, I am accountable to God for you. And the elders here are too, and they know that. And when, when sheep go astray, when they go off chasing after sin, or, or they're, they're out here missing church and doing other things, we're here to bring you back. 
We're here to, to shepherd. And we'll do it with grief if we have to. We'd rather do it with joy. Third thing, a plurality of elders helps us with the preservation of continuity. Now here's what happens. If something happens to one of us, there's the other to step in. If for some reason I, was, uh, I had to go and be away from the pulpit, I have other men who come and fill this pulpit. If for some reason we have somebody who, who can't take, or you know, somebody like Tommy who, uh, who is our teaching pastor here for our Sunday school, if he can't do it, we've got other men who can step in and are able and willing to. That's the advantage of having a plurality of elders. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of a good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane old wives' fables, and exercise, uh, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therewith we must both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but thou being example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity, till I come again, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now, I read all that so that you could understand from a pastoral perspective the responsibilities that we have to guard the faith and keep it continuously. Paul lays it out in no uncertain terms exactly how the pastor, the elder of the church, is supposed to maintain that. Pay attention to one verse. The last verse I read to you, <clears throat> here's what it says. Till I come again, or till I come, give attendance to reading, exhortation, to doctrine. The pastor's got to be given to those things. That's not something that comes easy. People go to school for years for it. Just to make sure, and I remember back several years ago, I was uh, 29, and I had surrendered to the ministry, and I was preaching, and I remember getting questioned by, by different people in the churches. I would go preach and, and fill in the pulpits at and, and those kinds of things as a young preacher boy, and, and I would get asked questions, and I didn't know the answers sometimes. And it's not that we have all the answers, but we at least strive to get some of them. Now, some of that is personal study and and. Trust me, I've got some of the, most, the best men who do that here. They're amazing. I sit in sometimes and hear Tommy teach, and I'm absolutely blown away by some of the things he's learned. When Aaron, Eric does the, uh, the membership course here, he teaches our doctrine perfectly so that we, everybody's on the same page doctrinally. I'm so thankful for guys like them who study to show themselves approved a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. I'm telling you, it is a struggle, though, for these men. In fact, even the New Testament speaks of it. Turn with me to Acts real quick. I want to show you something. This is Acts chapter 6. And I'll show you that the struggle's real. Because sometimes it, it, there's a, a, a big disconnect in, uh, in church work because everybody thinks the pastor's just, you know, we work two days a week and it's only for like a few hours and... Oh, you guys have got it so good and all these kinds of things. Let me just help you out real quick here. 
find it real quick. Yeah. And in those days, verse 1, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now let me pause here for you who need some help with daily ministrations. What was going on in the early church was there was a group of widows within the church. The Hebrew people uh, took care of their Hebrew widows, and the Greeks took care of their widows. And there was a discrepancy between the two. But there was this daily ministration because in the early church, the widows were taken care of by the church. Their needs were met. They would, be, they would be given money. They'd be given food. They'd be taken care of in every way, shape, or form because usually families weren't able to do it. Or if, they, if their families couldn't do it, they were put on that list as, as widows, right? Now here's what the rest of that says. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that whom we may appoint over this business. But we, give, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. Now the role of deacons gets brought, brought up here. And these men who are the, the seven men who would come along are going to be the ones who take care of the daily ministrations. They were to take care of the widows. They were to take care of the physical needs of the church. And these men come along as servants of the church to do the work of the church in, in those capacities. Meanwhile, the pastors of the early church, the 12 in particular, says we'll give ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. Now, why is there a distinction? Well, because, and it says it right there in our passage, it says, it's, uh, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Now, I'm, as, I'm as for helping anybody as much as we can. But there are different roles in the churches. And the early church recognized that role of being able to help somebody or come alongside and to help somebody in need in a physical sense. But they also recognized that the Word of God was going to be neglected if it was only the pastor's responsibility to take care of those needs. And let me, let me help out here because I know in time past, not here at this church, but other churches I've pastored, where the expectation is it is the pastor's role to do everything in the church. And if he doesn't, we'll boot him out and we'll find somebody else to come in and serve us. Let me be very, very clear on this point. I serve God in capacity as your pastor. And I do it willingly. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. I do it with my whole heart. But here's the rub. I work for God. And while I am answerable to the call of God to this church, and the church is a people and not a place, It is a hard thing to be a part of a church when they don't love you. It's a hard thing. I've been in those churches. I tell a story here, and I, and I only tell it to my own detriment. And my, my family will live through it, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I'll tell you the basics of it like this. I'm preaching doctrinally through the, church, through the uh, doctrines of the church, and there were several people in that church in particular who took offense to what I was preaching. Told me that I needed to stay in, in, in preaching the
gospel of Jesus Christ every single Sunday in the church, and that if I deviated from that, I was, I was against the will of God, essentially. And they told me pretty much all the time that I needed to be just preaching that. Consequently, I didn't do that because I preached the Word of God based on what God has told me to preach, and here's His Word, so I go preach it. It's not real complicated for me. I don't have a lot of hobby horses except the whole entirety of the Word of God. So the struggle for me was real at that point, especially when they came to me and said, said if, you, if you don't change your ways, we're going to you know, do something about it. And I looked at them and I told them in a men's meeting one time, I said, I said you guys do what you will. But here's what I'm going to tell you. That until you either vote me out of this church or God moves me, I'm going to continue to do what I believe is right in the sight of God by His Word. And that's going to be my main focus. They tried to vote me out twice in that church. I stayed until God moved me. I actually had them apologize for trying to vote me out. And about a month later, God moved me out of that church. I say that only to, to tell you that it happens that way. And the shepherd is not voted out by the sheep necessarily. God does that. God moves men. This ministry of shepherding then, it becomes something of a heartfelt movement. I read to you this passage about, about the tables and all that so you understand the perspective from a pastoral perspective we want to be about prayer and ministry of the Word. We don't mind getting our hands dirty, though, from time to time. But it can't be that's all we do. God has called us to a different kind of ministry. And besides that, there's plenty of, of everyone else to help out around here. If, you, if you're looking for something to do, by the way, just come and ask. We take care of a lot of the daily things that go on here. We buy stuff for the church and, and keep stuff kind of fixed up around here. But if you'd like to have a part in that ministry, oh, we've got, to do, we've got plenty of work to do around here. If anybody can do any sheetrock work, you know. Besides sheetrock work, there's lots of stuff to be cleaned and moved and done around here. But that's not our main focus as elders of the church. Our main focus is you all and your spiritual maturity. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 tells us something about that. Listen to this. Now, we all know the, fa the famous part of this passage because everybody always reads it when they're talking about things. And here's what it says. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And it's the Apostle Paul reminding the church at Philippi that there are things we should be focusing on, the good things. It's easy to be negative. Any Joe Schmo can be negative. It's so easy to be negative, but it's a lot harder to be positive. But it tells us we can think about the good things. And then in verse 9, it says, Those things which you have both learned, pay attention to this, and you can underline that word learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me, do. That ain't complicated. 
That's easy for even a, a guy like me. God has put men as shepherds of the church that the church may look to them and, and see what they're doing and do that likewise. That's why we're very choosy about the men we put in leadership roles in this church. That's why every year the two associate pastors are, are, are voted on as to their role as elders in the church. And, and only that in that we can lead the, that ELT, the executive leadership team. They're, they won't be voted out as associate pastors. That can't, I mean, that can't happen that way. They're voted onto the leadership team every year so that you all have as church as the church a responsibility now pay attention to that for a second you as a church have the responsibility to vote them on to that leadership team and to vote on any others that are in leadership coming in there because you all have to be accountable as much as we are accountable you want you want to have a say in the church Vote on the leadership of the church. Vote on those, two, on those guys coming into that. We make a recommendation and you vote on it. That way both sides have a part in it and we're all held accountable to it. Those things are there for us. It says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. See, that's the, that's the qualifier for us. We want the God of peace to be with us. So those things you've seen your elders do in the church those things you've heard of them doing in the church, those things you've received of them, do them. Do them. Verse 10 of that same passage says, But I, I rejoice greatly uh, in the Lord greatly, and now that at last your care of me hath flourished me again, flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. You know what that's, you know what that's talking about? Paul had a need to be you know, helped. And someone came along and helped. And they, they were careful before because they lacked opportunity. And now he could be lavished on because of those things. Now the second point under this one today is the primary function. That leads us to verse 2a in our passage. And it looks like I'm going to have to uh, continue that again the next time. I'm going to talk about this last one though. The ministry of teaching. Leading is, is part of it, and it is the ministry of the overseer, of the shepherd. But the primary role is that of teaching. John chapter 21 is Jesus talking to, to uh, Simon Peter. Listen to him. Here's what he says in 21.15. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I, that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verse 17 says, He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou was young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou goest. 
But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and thou shalt gird thee for another, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou goest and where thou would not. Now, the reason I read this passage to you is normally when we read that passage, we focus on the, the passage where he says, Lovest thou me? I'm going to take this, the, the backhanded side of that. Jesus says to Simon Peter, he says, Lovest thou me? And he asks that question. And Peter answers in the affirmative all three times. But pay attention to what Jesus says about each of the three times. Let's look at the first one. Feed my lambs. Feed the little ones. Feed the small ones. The ones who are the newest, the youngest. Then the next one, he says, lovest thou me? Yea, Lord, I, I, I love thee. I've told you that. Feed my sheep. And the third time, he asks one more time and he says, feed my sheep. He's talking about the old ones. He's talking about the young ones, the old ones, and all of them. And the responsibility of the shepherd, because that, it, it is required of us to feed the sheep. You know, every morning when the, when, the, when the shepherd wakes up, he begins to lead his flock into green pastures. Not the pastures that they've been eating on for a, for a couple of weeks or three or four weeks or whatever, and the ground's been trodden up and most of the grass is gone, and even the, the watering holes have been kind of defiled. He goes to a different one to give that, time, that pastor time to rest. That pastor time to rest. So he takes them out this way and he goes and finds them a new place to drink water, a new place to eat grass, and a new place to be nurtured. Feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. Verse 19 of that passage I read says this, This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify, and when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. He told Peter, Follow me. Do what I've done. Go where I've been. Do what I've done. And then one more piece of scripture and I'll close for, for today. This whole thing of feeding is written into the New Testament passage from Ephesians. Turn with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll finish up with this passage. Here's what it says. Now we're told in, in, first, in first Peter that we're to feed the sheep. And by the way, there's some qualifiers there. We're going to talk about those next week. But it's basic for us. It's not complicated with us. It says, feed the sheep, or feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, right? We'll talk about that next week. But I want to focus on something about feeding the sheep real quick from Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some, uh, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Those two words, pastors and teachers, are synonymous. The ideal is the daskalos. They're, they're, they're the teachers of the church. In the process of giving teachers to the church, there's that office of, of teaching that cannot be replaced and should not be. In fact, verses uh, 12 through 14 or 16, if you depend on how far you read, says this, it says, For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. These, these roles, the apostles were that foundation prophets they they have a word to speak into the lives of people and those are evangelists and they do that and the evangelists are, are there with them and then he says some pastors and teachers these teachers 
are there for the work of, the, of perfecting the saints. You know, the, the goal of, of shepherding is to produce lambs, to produce sheep. Do you know that every part of a sheep is used? Every single part. One of the few animals on the planet that we do that with, every single part is used. Verse 13 of that passage says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of, a stat of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, it's what, it's what we're doing here in the church, the perfecting of the saints is simply this. We're, we're helping you mature into a Christ-like figure. That is the purpose of the teachings. Feed the flock, we're told. Verse 14, and here's the reason why. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him, Christ, in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now here's breaking all that down for you. The responsibility of the elders in this church are to be about building you up so that you become Christ-like. Please allow them to do that here. Let me tell you how you can allow them to do that. First, be a sheep. Be a sheep. Shepherd can't have a flock if, he does, if they're not here. If they're not sheep. I, I was quasi-raised on a beef farm. Cattle. You know, we didn't lead cattle, really. We drove them. You drive cattle. We had dogs that would circle back and forth and, and bite at the heels and drive them into places. You had to drive them a lot. They're stubborn like that. Sheep, nah, sheep are easier. They can be led. They can be led astray or they can be led down the right paths. Be a sheep. Be led. Let the men, let the men who have been qualified and, and put in place here lead you. That means you've got to be available. We provide times for you. The shepherds of this church, we have ways in which you can come and learn and be taught. Sunday morning's one of them. Thank you for being here. We thank you every Sunday for that because we prepare for this. This isn't something that happens by accident. You have to want to do this. Secondly, we've got a Wednesday night, a service open to you on Wednesday night that you can come and learn the things of God. We've got a Thursday night small group for you younger people who want to get together and, and do that. They have a, a great time of fellowship here. And they're, they're going through some, some other kinds of teachings. And we even have a, a Sunday morning class during Sunday school. By the way, come to Sunday school if you're a member here. If you're not a member here but want to learn about coming, becoming a member here, we have a, a, a membership class that's taught by uh, Eric. Everybody here as, a, as an elder is required to teach, by the way. And we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of what, who's qualified for that kind of thing next time. But here's what I need you to be. I need you to be sheep and be here. If you'll accomplish those two things, I promise you, you will grow. I promise you, you will spiritually mature. You do just those two things, 
You know, it's funny. I, reading about sheep this week, when they don't eat, they don't grow. When they don't get nourished by the waters, they, they don't grow. Children, when they're left to themselves and not admonished and nourished by parents, they, they don't grow. They have failure to thrive. Every part of our lives, we need sustenance. If the only time you get that is when you come here on Sunday mornings and you don't do it any other time in the week, I, I'm going to tell you, I would that, uh, look, I'm, I'm a big fan of corporate worship. Huge fan. The early church practiced it often. They would meet corporately on Sundays, maybe down by the river where everybody could meet. And then every other day of the week, the apostles or the teachers or the pastors of those churches would go around from house to house. I will be happy to come to your house and lead a Bible study in your house and lead your neighbors to Christ and, and do all of that. Ask. If you don't ask, I might show up anyway. Here's the thing. You have to be a part of it. You can't say you're part of the flock of God and not be a part of it. Not be here. You have to be here. Maybe that's admonishment for you. Maybe that's just what you do every week. But pray about that, okay? It shouldn't take a lot of prayer. It's the will of God for you. I know that from Scripture. We have it on the signs. Tommy grabbed one of the signs during Sunday school and said, "Here, what does it say right here? You know what the signs say? They're right back here in the back. I can, I can tell you. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much more as you see the day approaching. Here's what's, here's what's crazy about that passage of Scripture. We're admonished to be together. That's part of being a flock. You can't be a flock if you're independent, if you're outside. And, and you can give me all the, uh, the quasi-universal church things you want. It doesn't work. Because what we need is to congregate, to assemble, to be the flock. That's how it works. Flocks aren't out there in the pie-in-the-sky pie flocks. They're local, invisible flocks every time. Let's stand.